Good evening, everyone. It's time to get started on our Bible study tonight on this Wednesday night. Thank you so much for being here. We have folks in our sanctuary as well as those of you who are tying in with us by streaming. Thank you for that. In fact, uh, in the sanctuary tonight, it's a little different because the camera's been moved. It's now mounted up, so we're not stumbling over it in the middle of the aisle. Uh, but it's good to see everybody here have you joining us by streaming tonight as we continue on in a study that hits the high points of the Bible as we travel through it from one end of Genesis to the other end of Revelation. And I'm glad we're doing this together. Uh, I want to let you know that tonight is lesson number 18. And tonight and next week, lessons 18 and 19 are probably the most fact-filled lessons that we're going to have within this study. You will never, ever remember everything I'm going to say tonight. So my uh, counsel to you is if you can, we have some study sheets there. Please take some, some notes on those primary spots that you think are very important uh, in your study of this. But as we get started, let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for these Wednesday nights. It's always good to see folks coming into the sanctuary uh, as we join and share together. And it's so good, Father, to have those who are sharing with us and joining with us in Bible study as we stream it out. Lord, we're so thankful for this new area of ministry, Lord, that we've come to understand and implement uh, since this COVID-19 flu broke out. Lord, thank you for the men tonight is Chad and Kenneth up there in the box. Just thank you for all the people who are helping us get our message out to the world. We're so thankful for that, Lord. And we're grateful for every person who is wanting to know the history and the story and the connection of God's holy word, Lord. That's what we're about as we go through this study. Just looking at the high points of the Bible throughout, Lord, and how your grace and your love and your word ties all of your word together. It is not a series of disconnected stories, but rather it is one continuous story of love that you give to us. We love you. We're grateful to be in this place tonight. Bless us as we continue to study and know and understand your word, Lord. Implant it in our minds and place it in our hearts that we would love you more. Thank you so much, Lord, for loving us and for giving us this time. You be our teacher tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, someone reminded me on this past Sunday that uh, these nightly lessons on Wednesday night kind of reminds them of a school class in its lecture style, and that is exactly right. In fact, this is very close in my experience to being somewhat of a college class as we look for a semester at the entirety of the Bible, and so this is an intense study. It's meant to be intense. Uh, there's no spoon feeding here. I want you to to, to keep up with me and take some notes and, and learn God's Word in all its complexities. You know, the, the Word is just this deep mine of wisdom and God's wealth of understanding. We'll never reach the bottom of that mine. Amen? We'll never get there. If we live to be 150, we'll never completely understand every word of the Word of God. But we mine the truth, and that's what we're doing right now. Uh, we don't want to water down the word. We don't want to make it overly easy. I want to challenge you with it. It challenges me uh, every time I study it. So becoming a true student of God's word is hard work. 
It's supposed to be. That's how God put his word together, that we work together and study together to understand the word. So as we travel on tonight, lesson number 18, we are moving to the prophets, the prophets of God. There are two parts to this study. So this week and next week, lessons 18 and 19 are dealing with the prophets of the Bible. Uh, we move to that new section in the Old Testament. Uh, before we get really started and rolling in the prophets, I want to give you just a little bit of review so all of us get started on the same page tonight. Uh, uh, this is fairly intense, it's fact-filled, and it can be a confusing part of the Bible because as we, have, as we established early on in this study, the Bible is not in chronological order. You have to understand the order of the Bible and the timeline of the Bible because it is not written in a chronological style. It's written more in a style of uh, sections of books are placed together, such as the major prophets and the minor prophets. Uh, and, and on through the Bible we go as to the way that it is grouped together, not chronologically, but rather in sections uh, that the, Bible, the books of the Bible are very much alike. Uh, now, if you're anything like me, going through school, from high school through seminary, even through doctoral work and looking at history, history is hard for me. Do I hear an amen? It's just a hard thing for me. Even biblical history is not very easy for me. So before we mush ahead, let me backtrack just a few minutes just to pull us together as to where we are in biblical history. We have studied King Saul of the Old Testament. Of course, there's a, there's a Saul in the New Testament. Let's not get confused with him. We're talking about King Saul of the Old Testament. Uh, he's the first king of Israel. There's a succession to his power. Uh, Saul is followed by King David, who is followed by his own son, King Solomon. They are kings of the united monarchy. Uh, that's Israel as a whole. These three kings are kings of the entire nation of Israel. Now, Solomon as king, the third of those three, commissioned of God to build the temple. And Solomon builds this beautiful, ornate temple that is dedicated to the Lord God Almighty of Israel. Uh, Solomon was blessed to be the wisest man who ever lived. If you remember, God said, ask me for anything, and Solomon said, give me wisdom. And God makes him the wisest man who has ever lived, and yet, in his great wisdom, he messes up horribly in that Solomon gets involved with foreign wives, 700 foreign wives, 300 concubines, and they are from the Canaanite land, they're from idol worship, they are from a godless background, and those women lead the great King Solomon away from his God. How sad that is that the wisest man in the world is even knocked off the rails by someone else. It is Solomon's great sin, and because of Solomon's sin, uh, the united nation of Israel then splits into two parts. It goes to a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Uh, Bible students need to know this. I think we would be surprised, maybe even a little amazed when it comes to how few people understand this section of the Bible that covers the kingships of Israel and the fact that it was once united, it, it divided into parts, into two nations. There are ten tribes. You remember there are twelve tribes in the nation of Israel, the sons of Jacob, who was renamed Israel by God. 
Uh, the ten tribes to the north maintain the name Israel, but there are two tribes to the south who maintain the name of Judah. Now, in 722 B.C., and remember with B.C. years, you're moving backward as you get closer to uh, the tipping point of history as Jesus comes and it becomes A.D., you're moving backward in years as it gets closer to the zero in the first year. So 722 B.C., the northern kingdom, which is Israel, is overtaken and conquered by the Assyrians... And the northern kingdom of Israel basically disappears as a people when they are overtaken by the Assyrian nation. The southern kingdom, Judah, exists another 120 years, but they are finally conquered by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians in 597 B.C. Uh, Babylon obliterates the temple. Babylon desecrates the temple, destroys Jerusalem. Uh, now, in this period of time, uh, it's, a, it's a horrible period for the nation of Israel. The nation is broken apart into two parts. One part is gone. The other part is carried off to Babylon in exile. It's a very hard time in their history. So Judah is carried off into uh, Babylon, and they are captives and slaves there for 70 years years the book of daniel is written during the time that daniel himself is in that babylonian captivity along with shadrach meshach abednego and all the people of israel okay now i know that's a good dose of history that kind of brings us to where we are judah conquered by babylon in babylon for 70 years at the end of that time at the end of 70 years now, here we're transitioning in history. Again, this is, a, this is something that we need to know that few people do know. But at the end of that 70 years of captivity, a new kingdom rises as the world power, and that is Persia. Persia rises over Babylon. Babylon was the world power when Israel was captive in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. But Persia rises to be over Babylon in power, and they dominate Babylon. And the king of Persia, now the ruling king of the world, no longer is it Nebuchadnezzar, but it's the king of Persia, and he makes a great proclamation. Write this down. You don't have to turn to it, but write down this, uh, this reference. It's Ezra. How many of you have read Ezra in the last week? <laughs> Probably not many. Me either. So Ezra... Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So here's this tipping point of history where Israel is coming out of captivity in Babylon. And here's what it says in, uh, in Ezra, now that Persia has risen to be the power of the world. Now the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled... The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God 
which is in Jerusalem. So here we have a tipping point of history. There's a new power, there's a new king, Cyrus of Persia, and the Jews are now released out of captivity in Babylon, and Persia releases them to go home, to go back to their homeland, to go back to rebuild their homes, and to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. So the Jewish captives are leaving Babylon, and they don't leave all at one time. They leave in waves. They leave uh, at sections at a time. They don't all leave at once. In fact, many people never leave Babylon. Some of the Israelites have gotten comfortable. They've grown up. They're 70 years, so we're talking about a second and third generation being there now. So many of them who grew up in Babylon are comfortable there, and they don't want to go back to Jerusalem. They've never been there. They want to stay home right where they grew up. But there were waves of Israel leaving Babylon, going back to Judah, back to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple and to rebuild their lives and their homes. Uh, the leader of the first wave getting out of Babylon, going back to Jerusalem, is led by Zerubbabel. Write that name down. <laughs> Zerubbabel. Uh, just do it as best you can. Uh, and they begin rebuilding the temple. Now, this temple is not going to be as ornate as Solomon's temple. But now, okay, where does, where does Ezra and Nehemiah fit in right here in this time frame? When the captives are leaving Babylon, going back to their homeland in Judah, back to Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple, that's where the books of Ezra and Nehemiah fit into this section of history. So they, they just seem to be there in your Bibles, like where did they come from, where are they going? Well, here we are, they're, they're the time frame of the Israelites going back to rebuild their homeland. So listen, here's our next big step of study. From the time that the kingdoms divide into the two nations of, of uh, Israel and Judah, which was 930 B.C., on through the end of the Old Testament. Okay, so here's our time frame. From the time the kingdoms divide, the divided kingdom of Israel and Judah, on through the end of the Old Testament, we are looking at the time frame of the prophets. Write that down. That's the time frame of the prophets. From the divided kingdom after Solomon serves as king and the divided kingdom comes all the way through the end of the Old Testament, we're looking at the time frame of the prophets. Uh, God is sending teachers and preachers to give his word and his guidance to the, Jews, to the Jewish people. Uh, and these prophets are carrying the actual words of God to the people of God. And sometimes the words of the prophets are absolutely not pleasant. They're bringing God's judgment against the people of Israel because they're not following the Lord. They're not coming back to the Lord. So the prophets are stirring. The prophets are rubbing the hair on the cat the wrong way. They are, they are just creating some, sometimes a lot of friction in the nation of Israel and Judah because of the message that God has given them to preach. Uh, often they're conveying God's anger against the nation because they'd walk so far away from their God. Very, uh, they were very direct words of judgment. Well, I'm sure you know this, and let me say this to you. If you're streaming with me tonight, you're here, here in the sanctuary tonight, next week, if you have access to your computer, if you're streaming, uh, if you're coming to the sanctuary next week, I'm going to give you a handout 
uh, in the second section of the prophets that's going to put all the prophets' writings in kind of a chronological order. Uh, and it's not chronological in the way that it's listed in your Bible whatsoever. Uh, it actually starts with Jonah and, and moves on down. So it's an, interesting, uh, it's an interesting eclectic collection of God's Word and the way that it is put together. Seventeen books of the prophets, men speaking God's guidance to the Jewish nation. Uh, the prophets are spanning one, 930 years to the very end of the Old Testament. Well, of course, I think you know where your prophet section is in your Bible. Uh, it starts with Isaiah and moves all the way through the last book of your Old Testament, Malachi. Uh, and again, you'll get a handout next week to kind of put them in and how they were written in order in which they were written. Uh, the first five books of the prophets, they are also not in chronological order. Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Uh, these four men, the Lamentations is also written by Jeremiah. It's not really a, a, a book of his prophecy, so to speak. Uh, it's, it's having to do with the lamenting of what's going on at, at, in Israel at this time. But Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, four men are called major prophets. Write that down if you, had, if you don't know this. These four prophets, your first four in your prophet section, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, are major prophets. Then we have 12 men who speak as prophets. They are called the minor prophets prophets. Very quickly, it's, you don't have to write these names down. You can look in the front of your Bible, but it's Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Okay, what determines a major prophet from a minor prophet? There are four men who are known as major prophets, 12 known as minor prophets. What, what is the difference the length of the letter, that's all it is. Major means that the prophecy is longer uh, than the minor prophet's prophecy. Length only. The word of God is just as deep and just as real uh, and just as powerful in all of the prophets. Major and minor has nothing to do with the power of the word. It's simply the length of the prophecy that makes them major or minor. Okay, now hang with me. Uh, which of these prophets spoke to the ten tribes of Israel before they fall to the Assyrians? That's the first group to fall. Ten tribes of Israel, uh, the northern kingdom, had its own prophets. Well, primarily the prophets that spoke to the north, spoke to Israel, are Jonah, Amos, Hosea, and Nahum. Uh, Jonah... I'm sure is a, an interesting book for you. I think probably of all the minor prophets, Jonah is the one that you may know the best. He is the very unwilling prophet who God sends as a missionary and a prophet and a word of judgment to the huge Assyrian city of Nineveh. Do you remember Jonah? Of course, we think about the whale or the big fish, uh, however you heard the story. Uh, and it's interesting in that Jonah runs from God. I'm not going to give you the entire book. I don't have that much time. Hitting the high spots here, you know that Jonah runs away from God. When God sends him to Nineveh, he gets on a ship and he sails the other direction. And, of course, you know that God saves his life through a big fish and all of that. And the fish vomits him out on the seashore. And here he is at Nineveh. 
Uh, and so God, God uses Jonah to address Nineveh. And if you remember this, as we just briefly look at the book of Jonah, Nineveh, the people of this huge city, even the government's leadership fell on their knees in repentance and in dust and ashes, asking God to forgive them of their sin against the holy God as Jonah preaches the word of the Lord. Just keep that in your mind for a moment. Okay, Amos and Hosea. Amos and Hosea urged the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, to come back to God, or if the tribes will not come back to God, their word is God is going to bring judgment and punishment upon you. It is your decision. God wants you back. God wants to forgive you. But if you will not come, if you will not fall to your knees, you will be judged. You will be punished. Uh, And, of course, the nation under this prophecy refuses. And they do come under judgment. They, They fall and they disappear even under the Assyrian captivity. Now, this word, I believe, still speaks to us today. I believe that there are prophets of God standing in the pulpits of God calling a nation back I pray that this is one of those pulpits that we're calling a community and a state and a nation back to honor our God in the way that we honor birth the way that we honor the family the way that we honor godly lifestyles and so my prayer is that we learn a lesson from these prophets that begged the nation to come back under God's guidance and the nation refused God help us if our nation refuses. God is the same God today that he was in the day of the Old Testament prophets. And so we need to call our nation back, and we need to live as God's people within our nation, not just from the pulpit, but in our lifestyles that we call our nation back. Listen, very terse word of God. Let me give you an example of a very terse word of God. Write this reference down. Amos Chapter 8, verse 11. Let me just read it to you. Amos, chapter 8, verse 11. This is to Israel before they fall to Assyria. And this is what Amos prophesies as the word of God. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. What's Amos preaching? You've waited too long. And so judgment is going to come to you. The nation of Israel, as Amos was preaching them to them, had strayed so long that God was now pronouncing his judgment, and there was no U-turn. There was no going back. It's going to happen, and Amos had to preach that message to Israel. The prophet Hosea, what an interesting life if you know about Hosea. Uh, God instructed him to marry a prostitute. Uh, she had such a, a beautiful, wonderful name. Her name was Gomer. Uh, <laughs> what a name of, of all names. But at any rate, after he marries her, he, God allows and instructs Hosea to marry this woman of the night, to marry a woman with that lifestyle as symbolic of what he's going through with his people Israel. 
And so Hosea is a living example of what God is going through. He marries Gomer, a prostitute, and she is constantly, after marrying him, she's constantly unfaithful to him. And Hosea goes back under God's direction to bring her back, to forgive her, to, to restore her as his wife, to bring her back into the home, to restore her back into the family. And she just turns when she gets and, and goes out and she's unfaithful again and again and again. And God uses this symbolic prophet to say, that's exactly how my people Israel are treating me. I forgive you. I bring you home. I restore you. I get you back on the right track, and you turn, and you walk away back to false idols, and you prostitute yourselves over and over again against me. So Hosea's prophecy is a symbolic prophecy in the way that God instructs him to live his life. Amazingly, God tells Israel, I keep coming to rescue you, and you keep leaving me. Okay. Well, those are just a few of the books of the, of the Bible that are directed to Israel. Now, let's move to the nation of Judah, which is the southern kingdom. Uh, remember, Judah outlives Israel. It's only two tribes, but it outlives the nation of Israel. Israel's gone. Judah exists 120 years longer than Israel did. In the last years of the southern kingdom of Judah, the prophets come from God to speak to the nations. The prophets are Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah primarily. Isaiah and Micah are living and prophesying in the exact same time frame. So you might want to make note of that. Isaiah and Micah are contemporaries prophesying at the same time for Judah. Now, let's, let's be honest and let's be real here a bit. You know, we don't read the prophets as often as we flip to the New Testament, do we? Unless, unless you're following uh, that order of reading the Bible through the year, most of the time when we're left to our own devices, myself included, uh, I start at Matthew and go, where am I going to go? You know, that's just our nature. The, the New Testament, is maybe you want to see it as a little bit easier, although it's very difficult. I'm finding that out as I'm studying through John right now. Uh, but, but we just don't naturally go to the prophets, to the minor prophets especially. Uh, but these minor prophets, they're not pleasure reading, that's for sure. But they're the Bible's word. We need to know how this fits in the Bible's word. But it comes much more interesting when you know the historical setting behind each one of those prophets. What's the heart behind the message? Why is God giving this particular message through this particular prophet? So while so much of the prophetic message deals with the present, God also points to the future through these Old Testament prophets. I'm sure if you've been a student of the Word, you know that. There's so much prophecy of the future from these prophets. One, for example, and one that is primary. Uh, you may not have to even write this reference down. It's so well embedded in your mind. That's Isaiah 53. Here's a prophecy from Isaiah. is full of messianic prophecy. But here's uh, one of those primary uh, portions of Scripture that just absolutely bring me to my knees when I read it uh, at any season of the year, but especially in the Easter season of the year. So here we have a man who lived hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever even born. And yet in his prophecy, God gives him this word. 
He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness when we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. What a, what a prophecy of the cross that we see in the Old Testament. God gives his word through these prophets of the future that is coming. Many of the prophets point ahead to the future day of the Messiah, whom we know, we know his personal name. You know, in the Old Testament, they knew a Messiah was coming. They knew a Christ was coming. They knew a Savior was coming. But on this side of the cross, we know his name, and it is Jesus. They didn't know his name in the Old Testament. Another major prophet to the nation of Judah in the southern kingdom is Jeremiah. He's known as the weeping prophet. Uh, he saw Jerusalem and the temple destroyed. He saw God's people carried into Babylon as captives, taken out of their homes, the city being destroyed, the temple being desecrated. Jeremiah saw it with his own eyes. He preached in an awful time of Israel's history to the nation of Judah. And before all the downfall of Judah happened, now listen, this is really important, before the downfall, before the conquest of Babylon, before the temple was destroyed, Jeremiah preached. And he kept preaching and preaching that God was going to judge his people if they didn't come back. And they never did. And Jeremiah preached for 40 years, and not one person responded to the word of God through him. Wouldn't that be depressing to be a preacher and no one ever responds to the word of God? And yet Jeremiah never let up in his preaching. Uh, he told them if they continue to live away from God, that God was going to send a conqueror to punish them. Well, let's look just... Write this reference down, a prime passage in Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah 11, and I'm going to start with verse 6 and skip around just a little bit. But just listen to this message from Jeremiah to the nation of Judah. Jeremiah chapter, six, uh, rather Jeremiah chapter 11, beginning with verse 6. Jeremiah's preaching now. And remember, these men are preaching the direct word of God. They are not interpreting the word of God. They are saying the word directly as God gave it to him. Then the Lord said unto me, Proclaim all these words in the city of Judah and in all the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear ye the words of this covenant and do them. Now, if you're reading, skip down to verse 10. Talking about Israel, they are turning back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words. Remember, this is God directly speaking through Jeremiah. This is God speaking. They refused to hear my words, and they went after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. 
Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Jeremiah brought a hard word saying, you've turned away, you've turned away, and God says, I will not hear your prayers to be delivered now. You will be going to Babylon. No wonder he was called the weeping prophet. No one would listen, and he preached the word of God with all of his heart, with all all of his strength for 40 years, and no one ever listened, and he saw his people fall. When no one would listen, Judah fell to the Babylonians, just as God said. Well, after the fall, after they were taken into captivity, Jeremiah then expresses how he feels by the book of Lamentations. And if you know what a lament is, you know what Lamentations means. It's Jeremiah lamenting the fact that his people have been taken captive, lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem, lamenting the fact that his precious temple of God is now gone having been desecrated and destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the captivity's people now uh, away in Babylon well you know that's uh, that's a downer and that's kind of where we end as we draw a, uh, as we draw a bow on the study tonight but these prophets teach us a lesson and that is that they're carrying the word of God to a people who need to hear but they're not listening for the most part, they're not listening. Uh, by the way, one, one of the prophets that I did mention, I told you to keep this in mind. Uh, you remember Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he preaches, and they fall on their knees, and they are repentant, and they come before God, and they sacrifice to God, and they turn their eyes to God, and, and Jonah says, don't you ever turn your eyes away. But Nineveh does. And the nation goes back into idolatry and back into evil. If you want to see how God deals with them after they'd fallen back away, they repented by Jonah, but they fall back away, what happens to them? Read Nahum. Nahum is the prophet that is prophesying about what happens uh, to the great city of Nineveh when they fall back into evil. Now, what I want to say to you as we draw the end of this study tonight is that the message and the thread of the Bible as I see it right now is this. Through Adam and Eve, through the Exodus, through living in Canaan, through the judges, through the kings, through the prophets, God's constant message throughout the word as we have studied it up to this point through the prophets uh, from the beginning of time on through where we are right now God's constant word to his people is follow me come to me stay faithful to me and I will be faithful to you now one of the things that I want to qualify in saying is that you notice in as you read as you're a a student of the word of God that Israel is not faithful to God in so many ways so many instances so many eras of their history they're not faithful to God and and while God was angry and God was disappointed and God allowed judgment he never withdrew from them he never left them he never forsook them as his people he still hasn't forsaken his people Israel so while we look at our nation and our lives and and we see unfaithfulness The wonderful news of the thread of the Bible is God is always faithful. God is always faithful to his people. 
So as we see this downside of the nation of Israel in these days, we also see the fact that while God is angry and God is disappointed, he never leaves them. He's always faithful to his people. Well, we conclude this section of the prophets in the next lesson. You will get a handout that will be very valuable in your study of the prophets. And with the next lesson, lesson 19, we will finish the Old Testament. With lesson 20, we will step into the New Testament. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, streaming group, thank you so much for joining in this study. I hope you took some good notes uh, and that maybe you learned a little bit more about how the Bible is chronologically ordered and also how the history of God is set in place in the Bible's words. God bless us as we continue to be students of the Word. Uh, I want us to be challenged in this. It's not an easy study, uh, but I want us to, to grapple with the Word of God and the history of God and how we are where we are today as we look back into the history of God's Word. So a good study. We will continue on next week, and we will finish the Old Testament next week. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for being our instructor, our teacher. Thank you that you're our God, Lord. Thank you that in the midst of studying this, Lord, that there, we see so much unfaithfulness in Israel. And while you allowed punishment and judgment to come, you never abandoned your people. Lord, when they were in the depths of captivity, you were with them. When they were wandering in the wilderness, you were with them so closely. Their, their clothes never wore out. They had water to drink and food to eat. You never left them. So, Father, thank you that that's a promise of God that we see in the Old Testament that is absolutely true for us today. Lord, we pray for our nation. Uh, I think all of us as believers are worried about the spiritual basis of our nation. And because of the spiritual problems in our nation, Lord, we see, we're seeing a lot of other problems come to the surface, largely or maybe wholly because we've walked away from you. Thank you, Father, though, while we are dealing uh, in a, a time of our history where our nation just needs help, thank you that you've promised us that you will never leave your people. Help us to be strong and faithful and true in taking the stand for Jesus Christ and serving you and you alone. Thank you for letting us learn from your word. Thank you for letting us learn through your history and help us, Father, to take that stand for you. We love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for letting us grapple with it as we come to understand your love letter to us. Thank you for letting us meet together tonight. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.